0: If we look at chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus in verse 36 and below appearing to the disciples. But if you see verse 35, it talks about Jesus appearing to Peter, to Simon. So, do you remember on the last time when we talked about Peter, we thought that actually, from the human perspective, from his point of view, actually it was really not so good, and to read somebody's biography and think, oh, look at this guy, he's doing this and that and that. And then after the resurrection, if we see the first two chapters of the book of Acts and onwards, we see him preaching and evangelizing and having people come to faith because of his ministry. So we see that there is something that is going on in the apostle's life that is very, very different now, even though many, many years have passed by. So what we're going to do now is we're going to read le- the letter of First Peter, just the first ten verses of chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for the obedience of Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Heavy going. He's writing a letter to this group of people (coughs) And the first eight verses are heavy going. We're not going to look on the first eight verses. We're going to focus in a few words in only the first two verses. And as I said to you, uh, probably our main focus earlier on, well, as I said earlier on, the main focus would be on these three words. What does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean to be a stranger? And what does it mean to be scattered? Because this is how Peter is referring to the people, to the readers, to the audience that he is writing to. Now, it's very interesting. I've been thinking this week, and I'll give you homework. If you were to write a letter for Cairns Roads. And if I asked you today that I would like for some of you to write a letter for Cairns Road and to point out a few strong points or qualities of our congregation, what would they describe? We're going to look at this in a positive way, so I'm not asking for you to write a letter with the negative things. I'm just thinking, what are... And actually, I don't want to list more than four items on it, because then it'll go into our heads. But if you were to write a letter, please do it this week, because I can quote it next week, next Sunday. (laughs) But if I was to ask you now, as you're sitting and thinking, on top of your head, what are some of the qualities that identify us as Cairns Road Baptist Church? I'm not talking about the individual, but I'm talking more about our corporate identity. And it's very interesting because Peter knows the people that he's writing to very well. He's writing to them because he knows where they have been placed and where they have been scattered. But he, the way he starts the letter is amazing. Because the first sentence defines the identity of this group, of of this particular group of believers. To God's elect... Strangers in the world. Do you see with the first, first, ever first verse, Peter is trying to explain that there is a relationship that these people have got. First of all, it's their relationship with God. And then is their relationship with the world. Paul, sorry, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, three weeks or two weeks ago, we looked at who Peter was. And do you see how his identity has really been affirmed because of what has happened in the resurrection, what has happened to see this resurrection work through the early church? Because if you have a look at what's going on in the early church, and basically we are kind of... Where are we? I've just got this gadget. Don't worry. So, so basically, we are somewhere here. And look how many things have happened in the history of this early church. Where Peter writes the letter. And still, he's the ongoing apostle who's saying that actually, you guys... Our God's elect. I know we need to change our projector and we will do it very soon, I promise. It's terrible to read those small letters. I couldn't get it any bigger. But there is a relationship that Peter is pointing out that is very crucial to the way that he is going to deal with these guys. And this is the relationship. It's their relationship, their vertical relationship With God. And the other thing that he wants to address here is their relationship with one another and with the world around them. Because of what's going on here, actually, there is a lot of suffering and persecution. And the danger is that we, well, they could have got caught up with this suffering and persecution, and not being able to carry on of what they were asked to be, to, to, to carry on with the button of making the disciples of Jesus Christ in all the world. So what's going on here? It's fascinating, because actually what Peter is bringing back, he's bringing back the reality of resurrection. What does it mean to be People of resurrection in the midst of trial and persecution. What does it mean to be people of resurrection in the midst of suffering? What does it mean to be people of resurrection even when you're scattered? Even when you've lost your own comfort zone and the reality of knowing everybody. So here we've got, who are we? And Peter starts the letter. He says, I'm writing this letter to God's elect. And then verse 2 tells us why are we? Why is he referring to this diaspora where they are scattered as God's elect? Because verse 2 says, you are God's elect." Because you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, who calls God the Father unless they are their children? Do you see this staggering relationship that he's still affirming that, actually, you are God's chosen people. You're God's chosen. But it's more than that. He is your Father. And then... He goes through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Pete has been there. He's had a lot of things to fix in his own life. He comes as a walking witness of what the Holy Spirit can do, because that's what happened when the Holy Spirit came, when they were waited, when they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, and they waited, and now he's able to write. Because he has experienced the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And then you are God's elect for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. Full on covenant language, full on new covenant language. Full on because Peter has experienced it firsthand. He has come to that place of recognizing God is his Father. He has come to that place of recognizing that he cannot do anything without the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And actually, all of this happened because of what not he has done or not done, but because of what Jesus has done. The other thing... That Peter starts this letter off is the relationship that this dispersed people have got with one another and with the world. Which brings me back to the story when Peter denied Jesus three times. Peter really knows that in order to have a relationship with Jesus, it really troubles, challenges, what was my third word, and confuses the relationship that you've got with others and the world. He's been there. He's done that. But he knows that because he's been there and he has done that, that we can learn from his failure. So in this relationship that he's got with the world, of course it's going to be challenged. Of course it's going to be confused. And therefore he says, you are suffering now. But it's not going to be for a long time. How are we related to God. How are we related to one another? And how are we related to the world as God's chosen people? I was reading Luke chapter four this morning, and I prayed it when we started the service. It's Jesus' mandate saying that He had come. To declare the year of the Lord's favor, to set the captives free, to bring freedom to the oppressed. He had come to fulfill the the year of the Lord's favor. And that's the mandate that Jesus passed on to his disciples to pass on to the church. So, in order for us to pass on that mandate, we need to be very clear, brothers and sisters, to who we are in Jesus, and who we are as a corporate identity, because it's very easy to go out there and confuse things. It's very easy to be out there and give mixed messages where Jesus has says that his and only message is that he wants to bring the year of Lord's favor. What does that look like in the 21st century? What does that look like in the 21st century in the city of Bristol? It's a little bit like unseen. It's a little bit like our cafe. It's a little bit like preschool. It's a little bit of whatever ministry our church is involved with. Because we truly believe that actually the good news of Jesus that has been entrusted to him by his Father, which he has entrusted to the disciples, and which we have the privilege of rejoicing into it 2,000 years later, it's the same good news that only Jesus is the hope. So how hard is it? To keep that very clear in your mind when you're in the midst of trouble and suffering. And that's why Peter is writing this letter. Because he's coming from his own angle saying that actually in the midst of suffering, in the midst of despair, in the midst of the unknown. Actually, it is possible to live a life as God's chosen people in a good relationship With him and the others. Do you remember that verse in Jesus when he was a child? Have a look. It says the same thing for Samuel that Jesus grew up in stature. I've forgotten now. Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature. With, in favor with God and people, God's chosen people, scattered. It is possible. So in the same letter, he gives us an MOT check. If you go to First Peter chapter four, verses seven to 10, there is an MOT check to say. Oh, this is one of the ways that we could live as God's chosen people, scattered. This is one way that we could live as God's chosen people without being confusing with whatever comes from outside. This is one of the ways that we can stay focused as God's people. And the first thing that comes... On this MOT check, is soberness, sober-mindedness, and that soberness is only through prayer. We can tell the difference when we're talking to someone who is a drunk, who is drunk, and who is sober. We can also—I was at the coach station this morning at. Uh, well, one o'clock, to take my cousin. And there was a drunk person there, and he was talking to four people who just came off the bus after they'd been watched rugby. I'm not going to tell you which team they were supporting, but they were very sad. <laughs> they were really deaf. And they had this young guy who was wasted. And he was saying all things to them about this particular rugby team, Iron. Um uh, No, it wasn't you. (laughs) And it's being recorded. (laughs) But, basically, these four guys, it was a family, they they let him go. They let him say all things that he wanted to say because, actually, they were the sober-minded. They said it's not worth it just dealing with somebody. So, bring that to our Context here. Peter is saying, therefore be clear minded and self controlled so that you can pray. The second thing is, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is following the footsteps of his master. When he prays in John 17 says that if the world is going to know me is going to know me through the love that the disciples have got with one another that's Peter for you the third thing hospitality offer hospitality to one another without grumbling That's great, isn't it? But can you imagine the setting where they were? If he is referring to this group of people who were scattered, one of the ways that they could keep their MOT checked is by the way that they were going to relate to one another. So love, yes, but after love, hospitality. So they keep the wires connected, and they keep... This kingdom of God expanding because, actually, they're praying. Actually, they're showing love to one another. And actually, they're showing hospitality. They're leading with good examples. So, it's a good MOT check. And the fourth one. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What is your spiritual gift? What is our corporate spiritual gift? And are we putting it into a good use? Because God's gift given to the church, the individuals, for the church. They're not for individual purposes. And because they are given to the church, these are the gifts that, again, give us that corporate identity so we can reach out and minister and ultimately usher the kingdom of God in. This is a very good MOT check because we're going to use this MOT check for the rest of the series when we're going to be talking about a chosen race. We're going to be talking about you've been pitied, you've been shown mercy. When we will be talking about you are God's possession. When we're going to be talking about you are holy. When we're going to talk about the king's priesthood. This is a series of Peter. But we need to be assured from the first verse by Peter that he is coming across as a learned person, and therefore he' is able to encourage and enthuse us that it is possible to have a Christian identity in the middle of this world, in the middle of the society, in the middle of Bristol. So the second homework that I 've got from you for you you don't have to write to me about this, is what are you going to do with your identity that you've got in Christ, according to what Peter has challenged us this morning, this week? What are you going to do with this identity on Thursday midday? What does that look like tomorrow morning? And I'm not talking only here about people who go to work. I'm talking here about the whole range of groups and professions and things that we do as a congregation. What does that identity look like for us when we open the cafe tomorrow at 9 o'clock here and welcome 600 people to come in this week? Not tomorrow, but throughout the whole week. It's a bit exaggerated. Oh, you little faith. (laughs) But what does that identity look like when we go and we say to our colleague and say, we want to pray for you this week? What does that identity look like when actually we work in a place of work when we're not allowed to talk about our faith, but we can be an open book by living our lives? So that's the homework that I'm going to leave for you. And you can write to me if you want. But I just want to pray also and commit ourselves to God and to these verses as we look into the week. Father God, we thank you that your word is living even 2,000 years later. And thank you, Lord, that we can be part of your community of your people who are chosen who are strangers and who are scattered and whatever that look, looks like lord this week we pray that our identity will be rooted in the love of the Father God. That our identity will be sanctified by the power of your Holy Spirit and will lead us, Lord, to obedience because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, as we go in the week, we know it's going to be tough. And we're going to come across, Lord, as scattered into the weak and strangers. And yet, Lord, we know that you have chosen us. And we are very grateful for the salvation that you have given us. So help us, Lord, to celebrate you in whatever we do, think and say this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.